Hey, everybody. Welcome to Relish This, the nonprofit marketing podcast. I'm your host, Stu Swineford. I'm one of the co-founders of Relish Studio. We're a digital marketing agency committed to helping nonprofits thrive. My guest today is Howie Hutchinson, and he's the executive director of Hope Kids Colorado. Um, they are a nationwide organization that helps provide ongoing events, activities, and a really unique support community for kids and their families um, where the, the children are suffering from some life-threatening illness. One of the more interesting things to come out of our conversation today was a discussion around how to keep people motivated and engaged when perhaps they can't donate money. Um, so I think that you'll enjoy listening to the show and getting a good understanding of ways in which you can really tap into your community and allow people to feel like they're still contributing, even if they're suffering financially. So here we go. Hope you enjoy it. Well, thanks for being on the show today, Howie. I really appreciate it. I have today Howie Hutchinson, the executive director of Hope Kids Colorado. And um, you guys have a really cool organization, and I will let you uh, tell our listeners a little bit more about it. And, um, and yeah, take it away. Yeah, you know what we do is, I, th- I, think it, I think it's fairly straightforward. It's not always straightforward to execute, but you know, essentially we identify families who have a child with a life-threatening medical condition, and then we walk alongside them and uh, create a couple of opportunities for them to get through their journey. And so um, some of the key things that we're trying to do is we want them, we want them and the kids that we serve and really their whole family to have something to look forward to. Um, we, we believe, you know, we say that hope is a powerful medicine and we think that having things to help these kids and their families look to the future rather than dwelling on what they're dealing with today can be really powerful. Um, so we schedule and plan out a really robust calendar of fun events and activities that these families can do together. Um, we'll probably get into maybe why that's a little bit more challenging these days than in the past. But um, last year we did 360 events. And wow. so theoretically, yeah, theoretically, these families get on a calendar and there's almost something every day. I mean, it kind of stacks up on the weekends, but um, there's a lot of opportunity. And the idea is that uh, like I said, they have something fun to look forward to, but they can come together as their, as a family unit. Um, cause so often, you know, when, when families find themselves in these situations, they're just, they're very separated and divided mom or dad's with one kiddo at the hospital or the doctor's appointments, the other one's getting the other kids to school and the other activities. And they're like ships passing in the night. Um, so we want them to come together as a family unit and just be together as a family. Um, but most importantly, our families oftentimes feel like they're alone and that they're the only ones going through what they're going through. And so when we can bring, you know, 20, 25 families together to an event, watching a baseball game, going to a movie, having a picnic in a park, you know, all of a sudden they're doing that and they're surrounded by other families who are walking a similar journey. Um, Whether that's the child that's sick, whether it's the siblings, whether it's the parents, they all have a very unique way of connecting with one another. So yeah, I mean, that's basically what we're doing. Well, that's amazing. I, th- I think that's really important work. And, and it's really interesting how, you know, people, we, t- we tend to feel like we're on an island um, just in general. And, and I can't imagine how hard that must be for, for families, you know, struggling and, and, and dealing with the challenges of having a sick kid. Um, but, but it's, it's really an interesting common 
human condition in terms of we get in our own heads and and just feel like we're the only person who's ever experienced this thing that is that's going through and so i think creating opportunities for um you know for the for those connections that re- those relationship building that's that's a really powerful tool I, I love love to hear more about how you guys are doing that particularly as you mentioned this year's been been a real challenge for for in-person events yeah um it has <laughs> i mean you know one would think that our mission was just annihilated with covid um because if you think about the main components of our program, we're taking immunocompromised kids mm-hmm. into public in large gatherings. Those are like the basics of what we do. Right. Um, all of those don't go together right now. And, um, and, you know, I think we all, no matter what industry or what we do, we had a decision to make at the beginning of this. And it was, are we going to let this and the, the complications around the restrictions with COVID, are we going to let it get in the way and kind of either put an end or ruin what we do? Or are we going to say, no, like the people we serve or the the clients we do business with or whoever, like they still deserve to be served. Right. And uh, that's kind of what we said. And we, you know, it may not look like what we want it to look like in our normal programming, but um, we were not going to give up and say, Hey, our, we're just going to close the doors for a while and wait for COVID to pass. And so, um, like, I think this is the hot word of the year, but we, we pivoted and we, um, we built out a very robust virtual, um, program of events and that could still be on this calendar that our families get to see. Um, that came with its own unique challenges around homeschooling and, you know, the amount of time people are spending on screens in general these days, but at the end of the day, um, you know, we still wanted to connect and we wanted our families to know that we weren't just going to give up and that we were going to create opportunities for them to connect with us as an organization, but more importantly with each other and still keep that same idea that, Hey, you're not alone in this. Um, and even despite a pandemic, like we can still come together. Yeah, that's just fantastic. I think the the idea of of just not allowing these challenges to to define you, but but become opportunities is is something that we really talk about a lot in terms of of looking for those silver linings and looking for those gaps in uh, you know in everything and and those that's where some really magical stuff can happen for sure. So tell me a little yeah, bit you know, about about well, what you I guys just did. Well, I was going to say one more thing um, that I kind of took on. Um, I kind of stole this from somebody, but Doc Rivers, who's an NBA coach. Yep. Um, what, oh, I think he, I don't know if he's landed. He was a coach for the Clippers this last season. Um, but when the pandemic hit, the NBA was one of the first organizations, especially sports, uh, to kind of shut down. Um, and, you know, he, he kind of coined the term win the weight. Uh, win the weight. And he said that, you know, our team, we're going to win the weight while we're shut down and waiting for the season to pick back up. We're going to be prepared. We're going to stay training, you know, preparing for the season. And and I kind of like, all right, I like that. I was like, how can I personally and professionally win the weight? Um, so, you know, there are some few things that I tried to do personally. And I think that was the mindset for professionally was, you know, not laying, not laying down, not giving up. Um, so that was, I don't know, something that, and again, I mean, there's so many things that we kind of like, I think are taking from this pandemic that we can are saying like, why didn't we do this before? Right. 
<laughs> this could apply all the time, not just. <laughs> right. So I think that mentality um, can certainly fit, not just during a pandemic, but um, yeah, you asked, so what are the, what are some of the things we did to pivot? Is that, is well, that yeah, where I'd, I'd be interested to know? Cause I, this is a really common um, challenge for, for both for-profit and nonprofit businesses right now is particularly ones that have some major component of what they do being in-person events. Um, you know, and, and pretty much everyone has figured out that, that, switching to some sort of virtual uh, format is, is kind of part of part of that solution. But I'd love to, to hear how you guys handled that. And, and some of the, some of the challenges that you were able to, um, you know, to, to get over some of the hurdles so that, uh, so that other nonprofits who are listening to this can, can take some, take some guidance from that. Yeah. Well, I think there's two, there's two distinctions, right? Like for us, there's when we talk about events in the nonprofit world, I think a lot of people just think about fundraising events. Mm -hmm. Um, at least that's what I found recently too. And for us, our program, like I described is events. Um, so for us, we had to think about this in two ways. How are we going to provide a program to the people we serve, but then how are we also going to engage with our supporters through events? Right. Um, I'll speak to the program side. First, um, and if we want to talk about the fundraising side, I mean, I don't know if I figured that out yet, but we can we can talk about what we've done. Um, I would say two things that we took advantage of with our organization. Um, one, because we put on so many in person events, it means we have a lot of connections in the community. Um, so we we relied on some of those connections to help us do virtual programming, virtual events. So some of those things are like connecting with athletes, um, connecting with other um, people who have specific talents and may have done that, you know, like a magician that does something at a picnic or um, people who just have these cool skills in the kitchen around baking and cooking um, we just asked them if they'd be willing to do something virtually. Right. So we did a lot of like, just, we just did a lot of like talks athletes would get on and just like, how cool is it to get on a zoom call with a professional athlete and just pick their brain, you know? And so we got to do that a few times. We had, we had a magician who has gotten on and I mean, doing magic live, I think is hard enough, but doing it over a computer virtually is that was impressive. So <laughs> um, awesome. we just relied on, we relied on a lot of the existing connections that we have. And then we reached out to people and said, Hey, what cool talents do you have that are maybe not even associated with your profession? Um, you know, maybe you're really good at making paper airplanes or right. whatever. And you know, the thing, the thing about hope kids is we aren't trying to create this magical kind of like wish type experience um, because we do so many things, we're really trying to get our families connected with normal everyday things that are happening in our community. And so sometimes what I found from our families is some of the most simple kind of everyday things are the most meaningful because right. they're not, they're not living a simple everyday life and they desire that. So that's been cool. We've just, I, so I think relying on the existing relationships that we have, and, you know, a lot of them, especially early on, they were looking for stuff to do. Right. And they were just, even some of the athletes, they were like, 
we can't even get together with our team right now. Like I go in my backyard and I train for, you can only do that for so long. Right. So, um, so that was pretty cool. And then I, I would say the other thing that we, I guess, took advantage of or utilized was we are one of six chapters, um, across the country. Mm-hmm. So just what I've been explaining here is the same thing that all the other chapters are doing in their local communities. And one thing about going virtual is all of a sudden we can share resources much easier than before. Um, so somebody who's doing something virtually in Minnesota or Dallas or Kansas city, um, we can hop onto that and they can hop onto our events. That was, so that made it much easier for us to offer more events. We actually won't be too far off on the number of events that we offer this year. I think we're projecting to be right around 350 events, which is a lot. I mean, that's also a lot of virtual events. Right. Um, but we wouldn't have been able to do that if we didn't collaborate with our other chapters. Um, so that was cool. Um, but challenging, you know, I alluded to a couple, you know, that just the amount of things that are needing to go virtual are real are a lot right now. Right. Um, and as we we're dealing with families and so again, we serve the whole family. So you got the parents who are going virtual for their jobs potentially. Um, and then you got kids who are doing a lot of remote learning right now. Um, so early on, that was a challenge, you know, and then the summer hit and it was like, we want our kids have been on screens for school. We want to get them outside. You know, we don't, we love what you're doing, hope kids, but right now we're going to, we're going to make sure our kids aren't on the screens as that much. Um, and then as we got back into the school year, you know, it was back to the figuring out how to balance, you know, some schools are in session, some aren't, um, some are hybrid, but mm-hmm. they're still, I mean, even, even our families that we serve, they're therapies. So like some of our kids are, you know, in physical therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy, those are all virtual. Right. Um, so we're just, I like everybody else trying to navigate and balance, find balance in like how much should we really offer, but also have grace in the, in that if people don't want to participate in our program right now, it's not because they don't like us or that we're doing something wrong. It's just, they're trying to figure it all out just like we are. Well, I can imagine a, an additional challenge is particularly, you know, in, in some, some of your families that, that are perhaps economically challenged as well as this, this idea of having multiple devices that people could jump on at the home and, and high speed internet and things like that become a real challenge when you have, you know, parents working from home, potentially kids trying to you know, the entire family is basically all online on different devices and at the same time. And, you know, I, I live up here in the woods and, and I know that, that, you know, it can be challenging just with me and my wife, um, being online at the same time, given that our internet isn't super sporty. Um, so, you know, I think that there are just a, a number of additional, additional elements that, that add to that complex, the complexity that, that you guys are seeing for sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that is definitely true. I mean, I can think of when we are, you know, we've been on a zoom call with our families and, you know, you always see the name that's in the corner. And sometimes it says, you know, the company of the, you know, what the parent works and you're like, okay, well, this is obviously a parent's professional device and not probably a personal device. And so you get glimpses of that, that people are needing to get creative. And, you you know, you said um, you use the word complexity, I mean, our, our families are already living an extremely com- complex life. Um, and to add this in, 
some people are like, yeah, we're going to try to make it work. And some people are like, we just can't. Right. Um, and that's a challenge for me because I know that there are families that we aren't reaching with, you know, with our virtual programming. And that is sad. And I think I still have hope that what we're in is temporary. So, um, we'll get, we'll get back to what we normally do. Um, yeah, but we, this wouldn't be a, uh, everlasting solution, what we're doing right now. So, right. Have you guys seen a drop off in, in the number of, of families you've been able to, to influence and, and help uh, this year? Or are you, are you on track to, to be about the same as normal? Well, so with Hope Kids, um, you know, once you're a part of Hope Kids, you're always a part of Hope Kids. So the, the, but then what shifts is, is kind of what you're alluding to is, is that level of engagement. Mm -hmm. So the number of families that we serve and we have in our system hasn't diminished. Um, in fact, it only ever goes up. It's not growing as much this year because we're not getting as many referrals Mm -hmm. and things like that, but our numbers don't really get ever get smaller. They only get bigger. Um, but we are seeing that there is a kind of core group that's participating more than the rest. Um, and a lot of that probably has to do with their access to, or not even just access, but like, you know, the, maybe the, 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 the capability and capacity to take on virtual programming. Right. Um, because of the complexities of their situation, whether that's, health-wise, socioeconomically, or whatever it may be. Um, we have done a few in-person events. Um, and we tend to see the same people coming to those. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that, you know, feel comfortable with the guidelines and restrictions. And again, the ones that are able right. to get out. And, right. and so I guess the point is, is that there is a large group of families that we serve or that are in our program that that we're not hearing from or seeing. Um, and then that is just dwindled down to the ones that either say, Hey, we're willing to do virtual programming or we are able to do virtual programming or we're, a- we're willing and able to get out to these few in-person events that right. are happening. Right. Have you changed the way that you talk to um, those guys who've, who've kind of fallen off in terms of, of their ability to, to engage? Well, we, we keep, getting concerned as staff, right? Like, man, we're only touching this, mm-hmm. this smaller percentage than we're used to serving of the families in our program. And why is that? What's going on? And so we've done some outreach. And when we do the outreach, we hear, we ask mm-hmm. questions like, like, um, are you able to get on virtual events? Like, do you feel comfortable with the guidelines that are out there around getting and getting together in person and things like that? And we always hear from them. So we always hear like, Hey, yeah, we're, you know, virtual just isn't going to work for us right now. Like we love you when we're back right. to in person, we'll see you, we'll see you then. Or we just don't feel comfortable with getting out in public. Right. Um, it's not nothing against hope kids is we're just not doing it at all. We hear things like that. And I think one of the most meaningful feed, pieces of feedback we heard and we've heard consistently is I think because we're so robust in the way we do programming, like hundreds and hundreds of events a year, um, the mess, the consistent message we hear is that 
we've we've known that you're always there we've known that you're here now and we know that you'll be here in the future when we get out of this and i think that's a and i'm and i take that as a positive i you know it's it's we've been consistent and engaged enough that our families know that we're just here and that we didn't just shut down and disappear during covid um, but we've done enough to let families know that we're still around. And while the numbers may not look like what we want them to, that message seems to be clear that we're doing, we're doing what we can, right. we're putting our best foot forward, and it'll be way better when we get back to normal. Right. Well, it sounds to me like you guys have, have really done a good job of laying that foundation and, and, and getting that message across that you're, that you're here for the long term and, and you're, you're here to support and help in any way that, that you can. And then it's, and then it's sort of a two way street in terms of, of, you know, continuing to reach out to those people that uh, <clears throat> have expressed that they can't do in person or vice or can't do, can't do any more online just because they're tapped out. Um, and you've, you've stayed in that consciousness and the, and you've built that trust over, over the years. So, um, you know, those are, those are really powerful foundations to, to have at your disposal. Um, just, you know, knowing, having people know that they can rely on you for the long haul is, is, a, it's really cool to hear. You made me think of, uh, there's been some families that have joined Hope Kids during the, during this pandemic. And I keep thinking like, you must think Hope Kids is just so lame. <laughs> like, <laughs> Cause we're not doing close to what we normally do. And I'm just like, Oh, I can't wait for you to see what it's like when right. we're just going full more and doing what we know and do best. Um, but it has been interesting. I mean, they seem to appreciate it, which that's another good feeling for us. Right. Um, I liked what you said about almost like, I don't know if you said this exactly, but you've made me think about the relationship aspect of hope kids with our families. And it makes me just think about relationships in general, right? Like, relationships don't work if both people aren't engaging in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I like that cause it's true even in a sense where, you know, the communication of of course is a, such a big part of any relationship, but um, we need to keep that going and not just right. kind of assume or make up for ourselves. What we think are the reasons that people are or aren't um, participating. Right. And well, so I don't know if we've done it enough or done it too much, but um, if it's not happening at all, I think we're all doing ourselves a disservice. Right. And the thing that's interesting about that, I, I think is the opportunity there when you reach out and you, and you identify what, where a person sits in, in this kind of continuum of, of, you know, all online to all in person. And, and then, you know, there, there are probably people at either end of that spectrum. I'm guessing the the majority of people fall in some sort of bell curve kind of in the middle where there's a, you know, there's comfort level with each of those, but, but it, it certainly could give you the opportunity opportunity to segment those audiences and create materials that are geared toward one end of that spectrum or the other. And so if you can, if you can take, that list and figure out where people land in that and, uh, and then provide materials that are supportive on either end of that spectrum. Um, you know, whether that's, and and maybe there's, there's actually an additional spectrum piece there with someone who's not comfortable with either of those, but, 
certainly if you can consider what materials and what events and what things might be uh, helpful for people at in wherever they're sitting in that and then get them that that correct content um, and and support mechanism you know all that all that'll do is help help solidify that relationship because it it creates this opportunity where those individuals know that you've been listening to them and that you're trying really hard to create valuable materials that are going to enrich and and support the challenges that they're facing in in their lives you know in the service industry whether it's not for profit or nonprofit i think we're going to see we're going to we're going to see which ones come out on top so to speak mm-hmm. because they did that they took the time to communicate and still provide something to those who weren't able or willing to do what you normally do yeah um yeah you know, cause we're every, everything that we normally do is not what we can still provide right right now right. For mo- in most cases. Right. So it's the ones who are still willing to not forget about those that, you know, can't do what's not typical anymore. Right. Well, it's just, the, I see an opportunity here in that, in that, you know, certainly you, you have your standard messaging and, and that goes out to everyone but being able to tailor specific messaging to people based upon their, their desired or their expressed preference in terms of, of how to engage. And another thing that we see, and we see this with with social media a lot is that people just get on social media and just kind of spout and, and it, you know, turn it into kind of a, uh, you know, a soapbox kind of opportunity, which certainly you know, social and, you know, any mechanism gives you the opportunity to kind of talk at people. But when you start talking with people and start creating opportunities for, for back and forths and for input, um, where, you know, whether it's email and you're sending out surveys or some kind of dialogue that gets created, um, that's where those, those relationships really start to flourish and, um, and become long-term and become really super powerful. And, um, and, and we see people miss that opportunity a lot. So it's, uh, it's something to, to consider is just looking back. And it sounds to me like you've, you've either done surveys or you've been creating those opportunities for feedback. It's not just you're, you're out there just talking at your, your constituents, you're actually, you know, getting that, that two-way conversation. So that's a, that's something that I think is, is really powerful for sure. Have you guys done surveying and, and things of that nature or are you, how are you, how yeah, are you creating I mean, that two way street? Yeah, it's mostly through surveys and we've done, um, we have a, yeah, we have a, a, a family forum on our Facebook page. That's a private group for just the families in our program. And so it's pretty active um, so we put some questions, just simple, either, even just polls, like stuff on there, a couple of questions. And then we've also done some more in-depth surveying through email. I mean, the thing with our, our program is all families have to communicate online through our website, through email in order to access our, our calendar and sign up and do all that. So we know that they can communicate that way if they right. choose to. Right. Um, 
So yeah, we've done both. And I mean, and then we also, we do not as much as usual, but we do see our families and we do ask them for feedback. The ones that we see again, it's hard to hear from the people that aren't coming in that, that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're doing it. Like I said, I I don't know if we're asking enough or communicating enough or too much, but I don't think it's too much. <laughs> um, How often are you, uh, but, uh, are you reaching out? Do you know? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I would say we probably had some form of monthly communication on top of that's not just like, Hey everybody, this is what's going on this month or this week, mm-hmm. but like intentional, like, Hey, what's your comfort level right now? Um, and you know, we, we've kind of done it also as things have adjusted with, restrictions. So, you know, for a while, you know, it was super shut down. Mm -hmm. And then as things started to open up, it was like, Hey, trying to get a sense of people's comfort level. So we knew where to go and find resources. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'd say on average about monthly, some, some form of communication. Yeah. That sounds like a, you know, a decent, cadence feels like there might be opportunities to um to distribute some resources in between that that cycle in terms of of you know you can kind of send out your your standard thing um once a month and then and then you know maybe every other week have some kind of a you know of a resource on you know how to manage how to manage multiple schedules and during all of this and, you know, or how to deal with, with getting all of the things done that you need to get done during a, during a pandemic when you're being pulled nine different directions and just, just come up with, with resource type materials that, that demonstrate that you're thinking about this and that you, that you have these abilities to support in other ways. Um, and that, that could, you know, keep those people engaged who, who do fall into that spectrum of, of I'm, I'm all zoomed out and I also am not comfortable with, with in-person events. Um, you know, that you guys are, are not only a resource when times are normal, but, but are here, uh, you know, and, and thinking about them all the time. So yeah, two things come to mind with that. One is this is another example of of something that just doesn't just need to happen during a pandemic, right? Like what you're talking about would probably be an additional service for us to provide that could happen anytime, right? Like here's some, here's a quick resource here, you know, here's, we met this person and they'd love to connect with you if you have questions about it, whatever. Um, but one of the things that we've heard from our families, our families are constantly living in a pandemic, right? Like when I remember when this whole thing started, um, our families were like, finally, people are practicing the same level of hygiene that we have to all the time. Right. And I think people, cause people would say, Oh man, this must be so hard for you and your families. Like it must be so hard for them to be dealing with this. And I'm like, they're the most prepared people that I've think I've ever met for this. You know, we, it'd be in two years ago, everything's fine. Right. We show up to a movie, several families show up with masks and Clorox wipes and hand sanitizer, um, you know, and they wipe down their service and their surface and they enjoy the movie. And depending on where they, their child was in treatment, 
and what their condition was like, they have to be more cautious at times. And so our families already practice social distancing and self isolation at different times. Some of our families don't go out during cold and flu season. They just Mm -hmm. don't. And we've learned that this virtual program that we've been offering now, all of a sudden is like, it's like, why haven't we been doing this before? Maybe we don't need to offer 15 virtual events a month, but maybe we could do two or three. Um, I'll never forget. We were on a zoom call with somebody. I think somebody was just reading a story. Like a volunteer was just reading a story on zoom and there was a kiddo in the hospital, like on the zoom call. And I was like, duh, like that kid in the hospital is going to be in the hospital regardless of the pandemic. Right. We should be, we should be doing more to make sure that that child can connect with our community. So yeah. it's, um, it's amazing. Yeah. It comes out of these, out of these things, right. Where you're, you're just, yeah, it's something that, that you, that you didn't get hit in the face with until, until, until this, you know, this thing happened. Right. And it's just so cool. Well, it'll be interesting to see what sticks. I'm really yeah. interested to see what, what, what things from this stick, like I've been so much more efficient with my time mm-hmm. um, because I'm not driving around to different meetings and, um, things like that. And I've got, I've I've talked to others who would, you know, travel for a day long business trip to have one meeting in another city. Right. And it's like that, did that meeting really have to happen in person and cost however many thousands of dollars? Um, and maybe there are cases where it does need to be an Mm in-person thing. Um, it'll be interesting. Like, what's, what comes from this, uh, what things stick. I mean, right. they're all, don't get me wrong. There are things that were, that I'm, I'm missing that I think others are missing, obviously, um, that I hope come back. Right. <laughs> but I hope that we learn, you know, I, we've got to think that we're going to learn something from this and that there's some positive silver linings that we can take from it. Right. Well, I think it, you know, it's interesting. I think about, uh, you know, mask wearing and, and hand washing and all of those things that go hand in hand with what we really should be doing during cold and flu season every year, um, that have become very commonplace this year. And, um, you know, uh, I'm fascinated to see like, once we've kind of gotten through this, hopefully how that sticks in terms of, of stigma. Um, because, you know, obviously now seeing people in masks is not a big deal and, and it's, there's not like a, you know, what's, what's wrong with that person or, you know, that weirdo is, is hyper paranoid or whatever thoughts might've gone through people's heads during, you know, past, uh, seeing people, particularly here in the, in the States with, with masks on, um, you know, I, I can't imagine that it won't, create opportunities for, for, you know, or lessen, lessen the, the harshness of cold and flu season. Um, you know, I'm hoping that that, that that happens for sure. Yeah. Yep. So in terms of other stakeholders, obviously, or I guess not obviously, but, uh, I'm, I suppose that you guys are, are, uh, funded by donor donors and, and grants and things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. It's mostly, um, I'd say highest percentage is individuals. Um, then comes corporations and then some grants. We don't, we aren't government funded. Um, and then, you know, events kind of are a combination of all those things like individuals and companies are the ones that end up contributing through an event. Right. Most likely. So, yeah. So yeah, we definitely rely on those funders. How, 
how is that going this year with the economic downturn? Are you, are you seeing an, a, an effect there? Yes. Um, yeah, for sure. I think the, the hardest, the hardest thing is, is like the unknown. And so I don't, I think a lot of people don't know how they're going to be affected financially. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know how everybody is. We don't, it's, so it makes it really hard to plan. And um, I think we've been surprised. I think it's been better than probably we thought it was going to be. Um, I've also heard people say that we haven't seen the hardest, you know, effects of this yet. Right. Um, that a lot of people are going to be affected further down the road. Um, I, but I've been surprised. I've been surprised on both ends. I've been surprised on the people that have been able to step up and do more than they normally would. And then I've been surprised at the people that I thought would be able to hold, hold true to what they typically do to support us and uh, then haven't been able to do as much or even anything at all. Right. Um, so, so it makes it really hard to plan. I think as we start approaching our planning season for next year, it's, we're finding it really difficult to figure out how to budget. Um, I would say the biggest hit for us has been in-kind donations. And so for us, and I, I mean, I'm, I don't want to just assume that everybody knows what an in-kind donation is, but if this is directed towards nonprofits, they probably do. But, you know, all the stuff that gets donated, that's not cash. Right. So for us to put on hundreds and hundreds of events, we get a lot of in-kind donations, whether that's tickets to different things like sporting events, movies, the symphony, plays, um, or people donate different items or food for when we do a picnic in the park, or they donate their space to host an event in their, their boardroom or their gymnasium or church building or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, we are seeing little to none of that this year because a lot of those things are closed. So right. all of the sports, you know, all the sports teams, all of the places that are doing productions, are all closed. And we, we rely on hundreds of thousands of dollars in in-kind donations um, each year that we're getting, not getting. So that, that doesn't mean we're not able to provide our program because we've, we've still provided almost 350 events this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just different. And it, it, it ends up making our budget look a little different if that makes sense. So all of a sudden, because um, in-kind gets recorded as both revenue and expense. So okay all of a sudden our budget just looks very, very different. And again, going back to the planning, going back to the planning, how do we plan for that? Not just how to execute a program, but how do we plan a budget for something? You know, we don't know exactly when this is going to end in places like, you know, the, well, it's not the Pepsi center anymore. It's the, the ball arena, arena, um, I guess. Um, Now who knows when that's going to open again, you know, and allow, allow spectators to come in. So, um, so we have to just, I don't know, I guess think creatively, but also do our best, make our best guess. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know this for us, we've had a couple of really key partnerships like land this year, but it's not because it's not because of any work that happened this year. Right. It's like been years in the making of developing relationships and they just happen to fall into place this year, which has been amazing. Right. Um, and I'm super thankful for it. Otherwise we may not, I may be telling you a different story right now. I might be feeling a little differently about where we are financially. Right. I'm wondering if, you know, in the absence of the uh, ability to, to open up 
you know, a big, a big arena or a movie theater, you know, there's infrastructure there that's not being used, which might make it a perfect opportunity to, to get used in a, in a private event type of scenario. I'm wondering if there might not be opportunities to reach out to, um, you know, to some of these, particularly some of these, uh, you know, venues um, to enable really kind of socially distanced, um, you know, connections in the absence of, of them being able to, to bring, you know, public in. Um, and obviously that we, we still need to have distancing between and among the, the families, I guess, um, who, who would show up for that. But, but certainly if you, you know, if you have, if you have an event center that's just sitting there, there, there might be some, something to be had in terms of, of, of that space. And I don't know, I, I, I guess you'd have to explore that, but I think it's, yeah, you would. And I don't think what we have, and that's interesting. I think it's identifying the right person who makes decisions over that space that can see it in, in the same light. Right. Um, and it takes some probably like telling the right story, um, Mm -hmm. for them to see that. So I don't think it's, I, I certainly don't think it's, it's the answer is always no, if you don't ask. Um, I kind of live day to day by that. Um, so, and again, we have relationships, like that's how we've been able to utilize some of the folks to get on these virtual events. So we have the relationships, at least we have a place to go to start. Um, it'll be interesting. I, you know, it'd be interesting to know if others have tried that already, you know, that, cause we're not the only one that we're not the only nonprofit out there that partners with these same places to execute their program. Um, but I don't know. I'm just envisioning like, I don't know, on the floor of the Pepsi or the ball arena, like doing something in an empty arena or. Yeah. I I have no idea. It'd be kind of cool. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I don't know, like go run the bases at Coors Field, like whatever it is, like um, have a, I don't, I have no idea, but put a blow up screen on the outfield and just, I mean, it's getting kind of cold, but, but yeah, yeah. like, yeah. I mean, I um, think about, I think about outside events, obviously, you know, that seems, seems safer to, to be, you know, outdoors with other people versus, versus indoors. But, but you know, when you have these huge facilities that it seems like the risk might come down. And, and again, I'm not a, uh, I'm, I'm not a disease uh, specialist here by any stretch of the imagination, but, but it feels like there might be some kind of opportunity there. Um, you know, and the other component would be, you know, and, and again, I, I would consult with, with your families as well as, as your, you know, your counsel, counsel and, and whatnot. But, you know, it feels like these families are relatively, you know, they, they've all been isolating pretty effectively. And so the probability that the, there's, you know, that the, the, any of them are, are contagious or, or, you know, are, are in need of, of being distanced is, is probably a lot lower than the, even the general population. So, yep. they're, you know, so bringing them together, it's kind of like they've created their own sort of pod um, in, in some regards. 
Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see too, like how any of that plays into, well, I'm assuming we'd have to follow like the mandated guidelines yes. around yeah. all that. But um, yeah, I don't know. You got my wheels turning now. Now I'm like, all right, what's the music venue that's down in the tech center area? Uh, is it still Fiddler's Green? Whatever, yeah. yeah, whatever that's called now. Like, what if we put a magician on the stage or did like a little private concert and you had like all of those seats just like, just randomly, right. totally spread out. Um, it would look like nobody was there, but yeah. you know, even if we had a hundred people there, it would look like nobody was there. Right. Or um, like at Red Rocks like, or something. Now we're talking. Yeah. Now it's we're talking. It's interesting too, yeah. thinking about all of the people who, you know, like sporting, you know, sports have kind of come back a little bit at this point, but, um, but, you know, entertainment and sports and those, those kind of people that normally rely on all this in-person stuff that are, you know, just not doing anything like, you know, having, you know, having someone from the Nuggets hop on is, uh, you know, even even figuring out how to how to tee up individual sort of connections with some of these people because if they're just kind of hanging out and they're they're used to being able to go do their thing and they can't because of <laughs> of the pandemic, you know, one of the things that we do see a lot and in, in terms of and I keep saying that, um, but we we actually see that or we we understand that people really just want to help and. Um, and as, as humans, we get a lot out of, of knowing that we were able to, um, assist in some fashion. And so I think that there are a lot of people out there who normally would be giving, um, who right now maybe can't afford to give, and they're really missing out on or missing that opportunity to be, to feel like they're contributing. And when they, they normally might be, you know, either, either, you know, donating in-person time or donating their money or whatever else in-kind donations and can't afford to right now, they still want to be part of that, that experience and, and have that feeling that they're contributing. And so creating opportunities for, um, for those kinds of people to, to be able to do something, um, can be super, super, helpful for both your organization and the, and, and the individual people. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, so in a normal, we'd see, we'd say, you know, how can you start creating volunteer opportunities or, you know, right. whatever that might be. You know, I've, I've always, well, I've always known this, but more recently been putting a lot of thought behind it, but it's how meaningful when you create connection between a, like an organization that's doing service and somebody that can support it, donor, volunteer, just champion, like it's so mutually beneficial. Mm-hmm. Like I used to, I used to be involved with mentoring um, and the volunteers and the mentors constantly were saying, I get way more out of this than I think the kids do. Right. And I think there's truth to that. Right. And, and there's something about, but, but the key is creating and identifying the opportunities and then communicating them so that they're known um, and creating the space, like creating the space for that connection to happen right. is so key. Um, and right now we just have to be creative and, and uh, but the opportunity is there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so are we, how willing are we to like think outside the box, be creative, step away from our normal, you know, programming or normal way of doing things to, to find those opportunities. I also think, um, Oh, what was I going to say? I think I lost it. Um, you were just talking about people being willing to, to support and help. And I don't know, I can't remember, but I got caught up on this whole mutually beneficial, like how meaningful right. these opportunities are to everybody. And, um, I, you know, I've always seen that from like a volunteering side more. And I think I'm more recently seeing that from the financial, like the donor side, mm-hmm. like how can I actually, how can, how can donate, don't, how can like donor, donor stewardship be less transactional and more relational? Right. Um, and by that, and by that, I mean like helping the donor who's giving money, see that they are actually getting something out of this more than just a tax write-off, right? They actually can, um, grow personally, um, and feel like they're actually contributing more than just the bottom line of the budget. Um, so I've been trying to like focus on that a little bit more. Yeah. We have talked a lot about creating tie-ins into you know what that money gets used for or how how far that dollar can go um and particularly if there are and this may not be relevant to your organization necessarily but particularly if you guys are putting together say you know um you know some kind of of uh of pack for kids that that has you know like school, like school supplies or, or yeah, things like, like that. that. And that, um, and that if you can demonstrate that $5 can create this pack for, for one of your kids or $25 can put together this great backpack that has, you know, some tech in it and has just some stuff that, that these kids need that that's, you know, kind of durable, tangible assistance, um, that, that then, creates an opportunity for you to reframe that message. So it's not just give us your money, but it's, it's, you know, $10 goes this far. And then you can actually separate people a little bit more from that, from that dollar figure and just be like, you know, for the price of a six pack of beer or whatever would resonate with, with, with your audience, you can help a kid, you know, get, you know, food for a week or, you know, you know, just creating this, this idea of a little bit of investment goes a very, very long way when you guys are able to, to, you know, bring all that under, under one roof. And then and we could do that. We could do that more. We, the one thing we have done is we've identified that on average, it costs about $30 per month for a family to have access to our, um, calendar events. Some go to more events than others. Some family mm-hmm. sizes are larger than others, but on average it's about $30. So that helps and kind of in that same way of like, Hey, when you see that $30 come out of your, your bank account, know that there's a family in Colorado that has access to a community of people that know that they're not alone. Right. Um, so that's kind of, but we could certainly do more, I think too. Yeah. But and that's, then in, in terms of, of going back to your, to your donor base, it might be interesting. And I don't know if you have the ability to do this um, necessarily within your system, but it, it might be really interesting to try and see who hasn't donated and go to those people and provide them with other opportunities to, to, to get involved. And so instead of asking them for money, um, you know, suggest that, that you have, you're always in need of great 
event opportunities. And if you have a special skill that you think might translate to a Zoom call, so for, you know, you mentioned magic. Um, you know, I have a friend who's, uh, or he's, he's actually one of our, one of the guys on our team who's a, a magician. And he puts out just videos that are really super effective. And, and, you know, he does a lot of card trick type stuff, but, but they're fun to watch. And, and so, yep. you know, even if someone can't donate, but has some kind of special skill, like, you know, would you be willing to, uh, you know, share uh, how to, you know, bake your favorite cookies or, you know, whatever, whatever that might be that then allows these people to stay in the fold and stay connected with you guys and, and feel, um, feel like they're contributing even when maybe they can't contribute, um, on a, you know, in a monetary type of way. Um, yeah. And so just getting real, real creative around, around how to, how to keep those people engaged, even when, when times are tough and make them feel, um, you know, needed. Cause I think that that's part of the, part of the thing is I, I think people get really depressed and, and sad when they can't do the thing that they normally would be able to do. Um, so just yeah. facilitating that then becomes this other thing that you guys are contributing. So it, yeah. it's really yeah. cool. It's like the holistic you can, I don't know, trying to figure out what that holistic service you provide. Cause again, it's not just to the families we serve, but it's to all the constituents. We, we call them champions, right? Um, whether donors or volunteers or event partners or whatever. Yeah. That's, um, I think that'd be really cool to, to see how to, how to get everybody back, back into the fold. Um, regardless of whether or not they, they have the ability to do, to participate in the way that they used to. Yep. Well, this has been super fun. I, as you know, I like to end all of these, all of our, our conversations with, um, with an action ask. One of the things that drives me a little nuts is, is when there's just a lot of talk and no action. And so I'd love for you to share with us something that you would like for, um, the listeners to do, um, if they, if they hear this, hear this podcast. Yeah. So I saw this happen recently at one of our events. Um, and this is connected to hope kids. So, um, or the people we serve. And, and I think at the end of the day, what I hear most from the people we serve, the families we serve, who again are families who have a child with a life-threatening medical condition. And a lot of times those kids look different. They look or they act, they sound different either because they're in a wheelchair. They don't, they can't speak. Um, they might be blind, they have a physical impairment, they can't walk, whatever it is, they, they come across as looking, sounding, feeling different to us, to me, like, I think. And so um, what I hear from them is when they when they're at Hope Kids events, they feel like normal, right? Like, they just feel like they're one of the, the crew. And um, I guess my action to anybody that hears this would be the next time you're out and you see somebody, whether they're a child or an adult, and you can tell that they're, they're different because they're in a wheelchair or they have a, a medical condition or a learning disability or whatever it is, think about how you can treat them like as if they're your buddy or as if they're somebody who you didn't think looked different or sounded different that you may walk, walk by, um, because that's what these kids or even people who aren't kids want at the end of the day. Um, so we were, we had an event, we were able to kind of pull together a, 
socially distanced pumpkin carving event um, a couple weeks ago. And one of the volunteers, and I mean, this brought me to tears. I'd never met this guy. It was through a company. I had no idea who he was. And the way he interacted with one of the kids in our program was absolutely amazing. This child, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know if they could see you, hear you, acknowledge you, but he treated that child as if it was any other kid that was at it. Um, and it just, I was just like a great reminder of like, everybody deserves that. Like everybody deserves that, um, the courtesy of being known. And, and so I think, I don't know, I continue, I, I don't, I'm not perfect at it. I think working with this population helps. Um, but yeah, I think if next time you see somebody and you're not sure if they can hear you or see you, don't let that change the way that you, you interact with them. I love it. I think that's really great advice. And, you know, we're all people and, and, you know, normal is, is just a, a, you know, a tag that we've assigned to, to things because, because at the end of the day, we're all, you know, we all really have the same motivations and, and desires and, and to just be treated equally and, and fairly. And, um, you know, I think, I think that's a great, a great message. So thanks for sharing that is that's how we train. Go ahead. I was going to say, that's how we train our volunteers. We're like, if you do nothing else, like, if you do nothing else, just show these kids that they're just like any other kid. That's how they want to feel. Right. And if you can, and don't let, and don't let your, don't let your nervousness, like get in the way of them experiencing that. Right. So, um, yeah. Well, that's, that's a great, right, you're gonna ask ask. well, I was just going to say, yeah. should people go to hopekids.org to find you or is there a Colorado chapter site or is it just the, the main, we all, we all, we, yeah. Hopekids.org is the best. Um, you can certainly find our local information, but we're all doing the same thing. So all the information on the website is what we're all doing in each of our chapters. Awesome. Well, thanks a ton for being on the show. It was really good to talk with you and hear all the great things that you guys are doing. I, I really appreciate it. And, um, and look forward to hearing how things go in the future. Yeah. Thanks Stu. Stu. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Have a great day. All right, there you have it. Another episode of Relish to This, the nonprofit marketing podcast. If you want to continue the conversation and see how we can unearth some gold for your organization, head over to relishstudio.com slash podcast to sign up to be a guest on the show. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of Relish This.